Are you a bitter bitch on Twitter? Well, you may get some free beer out of it. The only thing craft beer has to fear is beer itself. It's a blonde! It's a stout! No, it's a golden stout. Calm down. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer, the podcast of beer news, the business of craft, and how we're all going to end up meekly drinking hard seltzer in about five years. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman, and you got real nihilistic. <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling nihilistic. You know, I mean, the, uh, we'll, we get into uh, the, 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 the main thing we're going to talk about today. Uh, I think it's going to be a nihilistic episode. And that, that'd be the title, the nihilistic episode. <laughs> nihilistic episode. It's, it's all beer, nihilist edition. <laughs> we believe in nothing, Lebowski. And we'll cut off your Johnson. What are we drinking? <laughs> well, what are we drinking, Jeremy? You brought the beer this week. Yeah, but I always ask you what we're drinking, whether or not you know it or not. So, um, no, uh, uh, we're drinking a beer from Two Brothers Brewing. They're uh, uh, Domaine Dupage, I'm going to assume you, you pronounce it. Uh, good, good as guess as any. This is a the only um, commercially made that I've found um, available in the area, uh, Beer de Guard. Um, are you familiar at all with a Beer de Guard? Yeah. <laughs> uh- a little, I remember when Idaho Wine Merchant brought some in because um, Anderson Valley brewed a batch. Okay, yeah. I uh, mean, it's, it's been done as a one-off, but, yeah. but it's always a, it's, it's always, um, I have a weird fascination with the style, first of all, because it's fucking obscure. Yeah. And. The it, best way I've ever been able to describe it is just like a bigger Saison. Well, that, even that's not uh, a good uh, a good uh, um, um, a, a good de- definition because the style guidelines the the uh, um, alcohol level of both beer to guard and saison are enormous. They could be everything anything from a table beer to upwards of I'd have to go look, but I want to say upwards of eight percent. Okay. Um, but what but what I what I have found makes it unique is it's a it's a saison with lager yeast oh so except what i mean but that's also the thing it's like uh, it, it a lot of times it uses lager yeast except when it doesn't it can be it's usually like on the darker amber colored end of the spectrum except when it's not except when it's not um you know it can be very lightly hopped except when it's not you, 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 wait you... wait so you're <laughs> telling me that the beer style isn't an accurate is it isn't is an it, accurate description of the beer? I'm saying it's very loosely defined. Yes, but um, kind of like every other fucking beer style ever made <laughs> and known to man, especially the Belgian beer styles. Where, I mean, first of all, the the uh, um, they were made to ca- by a bunch of monks who like to drink. Yeah, hundreds of years ago, categorizing Belgian beers is kind of a fool's errand because I think. Th- I think culturally, culturally, they are the opposite of the Germans. Where you know the Germans, they are very precise. They are very strict, and you will not, you will not put anything weird in the beer. The uh, the Belgians are like more like fuck it. <laughs> Got a little extra of that? Yeah, yeah, add it. Put it, put it in, put it in. It's, it's like it's, grandma's <laughs> cooking versus fucking Betty Crocker. Exactly. So, but what do you think of this? I think it's delicious. Um, just had the first sip so far. Little funk to it, kind of a little caramel notes coming through, but a nice crisp 
finish. I mean, and this this actually is the first, like, the, the, I sort of get it because um, it, on the surface it's like an amber lager. Like, if you were just if you were just poured this. And I could see Vienna lager. Yeah, you could just drink it, and it's like, oh, that's kind of a nice amber lager. But when you kind of take a minute to examine it, yeah, right in the background, you get a little bit of funky, wild flavor. Yeah, not I, not like tart, sour, funky. Like not and not saison funky. Not yeah, like not, not full horse blanket, but a little bit in the background. There's yeah. a little bit of like there's 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 a there's, hint. It, this is like the mullet of a beer. Very <laughs> crisp up front, and then a little party going on in the background. Oh, I renounce my like love of a uh, uh, bearded guard. I can never go back after hearing this guard. <laughs> Is it not the most accurate description you've ever heard? I'm not saying it's inaccurate. <laughs> I'm saying I don't like it. <laughs> and on that note, Tyler, do you want to ruin any other beer style? Actually, ruining beer style is what you're going to do at the end of this podcast. We'll start off uh, uh, with the with, with the first story. Uh, uh, what do you got for us? Well, you ever just. Scroll through Twitter and go, that person is a miserable, bitter fuck. I mean, of course, whenever you go, whenever I go on Twitter, that's what Twitter is for. Well, Hot Valley decided to do something uh, to help get those people some beer. Uh, so, found this article in all spots. Google recommended this article to me from lifehacker.com. <laughs> hey, you know. <laughs> I was like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> The, the, the algorithm works. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm bitter and I need free beer? I mean, that the algorithm works. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> how they're doing it, um, if you head to ibu-o-meter.com, submit your Twitter handle, uh, Hop Valley Brewing uh, will generate an IBU. So the International Bitterness Unit right, right. score based on how bitter you've been on Twitter. <laughs> uh, regardless of your score, you'll receive a rebate for a free 12-pack of one of four varieties of Hop Valley's IPAs. Uh, with this here, once you've purchased a 12-pack of one of the participating varieties, you will get snap a picture of your receipt, send it over to them, uh, and you will get reimbursed through PayPal or Venmo. Uh, they must be made between now and May 31st, and your receipt must be submitted by June 7th to qualify. Um, they did... <laughs> if we want to nerd out a little here... They used, On this podcast? No, I, I refuse <laughs> to let you. They used a machine learning algorithm to analyze the text found in your tweets to detect overall sentiment positive, negative, or neutral, based on the pre-trained set of historical data. They're learning. Uh, I kind of want to, like, so I actually have several Twitter accounts, and I kind of want to put them all up to see which one... Is the most bitter? <laughs> I mean, there's there's my personal one, which ironically is not that. It's mostly just... it's. Mo I, I don't post much on it. I mostly use it to scroll through things. We've got It's All Beer 1, which you should check out. But again, not terribly bitter, as much as it's just a repository of... Emo Budweiser? Emo Budweiser might hit a, a, a ninety on the uh, on the bitterness <laughs> scale. <laughs> we might, I might be able to get a, get the free Hop Valley with Emo Budweiser, although I have not used it. It is no matter what score you get, you will get free Hop Valley. 
I have not uh, uh, posted anything on Emo Budweiser for quite some time. I, I the I haven't really felt the urge to troll Budweiser recently, so. but <laughs> but yeah, they'll assign a score of zero to a hundred uh, based on the ratio of positive to negative tweets. Uh, you have to be twenty one to participate, and there is a limit of one rebate per phone number. Okay. So, by second, I can still have all my Twitter uh, accounts tested, though, or IBUs. I would assume you can still have them all tested. You're just only getting one twelve pack. I mean, I, I actually, I actually care more about having my <laughs> getting the bitterness. Yeah, like, you can keep the beer. I mean, nothing against Hot Valley, but I'm not a huge fan of theirs. But <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to turn it down. But but um, um, I'm almost more interested in like having the machine tell me just. Which of my multiple uh, personality, uh, multiple uh, um, personalities? Uh, I was going to say um, social media personalities is uh, yeah. the most bitter. But I mean, I think hands down, be emo Budweiser. Hundred um, percent. Otherwise, ironically, I'm not that bitter uh, on social media. It's much I'm just posting about beer and books. It's kind of what I do. Fair enough. So, so uh, if you're looking to get a free twelve pack. Uh, and you want to see how bitter you are on social media? We've got the option for you. Speaking of bitterness, uh, craft beer sucks news now. Actually, oh, boy. Actually, first the good news. Um, Forbes uh, reported uh, this week that uh, according to data from uh, the Beer Board and the National Beer Wholesaler Association, uh, the first signs of uh, the recovery of pre-pandemic levels are starting to uh, poke their head out. Um, say, According to a, this article by uh, uh, t- uh, Tara Nguyen, um, I know, right? We'll get there. Um, 92%, that'd be my son, uh, Declan, who has to sit in because, uh, um, well, I'm a good father. Um, (laughs) 92% of bars... Loose terms. (laughs) um, 92% of the bars are back open, um, and 60%, 68%, sorry, of all taps are back in commission. So, um, after four months of contractions... Um, the craft beer sector specifically hit a 50 on the, uh, on the national beer wholesaler association marker, which I have no idea really what that means. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, uh, um, uh, with their matrix. Yeah. We talked about it last year. Uh, let me see if I can pull it up. It's based on certain things. Uh, they have like a breakdown of like this number to this number is contracting. This number to this number is stagnant. This number is growing. I mean, the um, if it, for a matter of comparison, you know, as kind of expected, um, the um, the beer as a whole is being propped up by hard seltzer, which saw a ninety on their uh, on their grade. So yeah, um, and the only one to hit below four below fifty was cider. Actually, it hit like uh, forty, um, and so fifty might be the you know the growing mark or like right in the middle or what have you. But um, um, although again, I feel like um, cider is going to become a much more niche product because well, I feel the cider boom really got hit hard with hard seltzer. Well, I think a lot of the people that would were drinking cider switched that, to hard seltzer. That's what people I feel uh, you know they wanted a beer strength uh, beverage. Uh, that was sweet, usually, yeah. and or at least, you know, did, didn't taste like beer. Yeah. So I think you're right. Um, that's where you know, uh, 
uh, and you know, and we're talking about people who don't. It's gonna be. It's gonna sound bitchy, but uh, not particularly picky about uh, what they're <laughs> drinking. Um, <laughs> so you know, as long as it's kind of sweet and tastes a little bit fruity, it's fine. Um, and you know, hard seltzer, no sugar, no anything, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know, healthy for you. Um, but uh, the overall um, uh, craft co- uh, compared to um, uh, domestic and input, uh, domestic and imports. Um, uh, saw a full percentage point increase um, according to Beer Board. Um, but now the volumes are still down 36% on okay. draft. Yeah. Pause real quick. So the Beer Purchasers Index, an index of 50 plus in a segment means volumes in that segment are expanding, and an index below 50 indicates that they're contracting. So the higher above, the more it's expanding, the well, lower this, below. The, this makes sense because they said, because they mentioned uh, uh, the industry has been contracting for four months. This is the first time it's hit 50. So so, um, so that actually makes quite a quite a bit of sense. Um, and also that, I mean, they saw a 50 or more across the board except for cider. Um, the interesting thing, though, according to the article, is that um, overall taps, retail taps, are down 50%. Damn. And these are and these are permanent, uh, according to the article, that some that during the pandemic we lost fifty percent of all of all uh, you know just all available taps. Now, what the hell that I mean that seems a lot. I don't see a. I mean, I I'd like to know how exactly uh, you know if that's in the form of bars closing, so all their taps are gone, or if that's like restaurants paring down their selection. Or, I think maybe a little bit of both, but I think at least here in the valley, I'm, this is taking a ten thousand foot view over the national, and so the trends may be a little different in some of the major cities. I think it is bars or restaurants closing, and so you lost all those, and then some bars paring down. But most bars that I've at least seen around here are back to full handle lineup. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I know a lot of bar, bars and restaurants, especially that were, you know, into craft, uh, left a bunch of their lines open mm-hmm. um, just because when you weren't selling draft and you have 18 taps, but you're barely going through, you know... Enough eight, to cover six. Yeah, then there's no reason, especially, and there wasn't a lot of good shit to put on draft. Yeah. I mean, it got kind of sparse there for a second. And so, you know, that combined with... You know the, the the drop in volume. I know a lot of a, a lot of uh, um, of uh, businesses just elected to leave taps open, um, but the permanent um, closing of these is that's an interesting um, an interesting trend. So um, yeah, I feel they can't really predict whether it's going to be a permanent loss of those handles, unless it's literally just talking about that many bars closed in that big of areas. And that's but then you can't predict how many are going to open up. I mean that's I mean, it didn't really it, it that's kind of where it's ambiguous. It just said it lost fifty percent of handles permanently, and so I'll just go ahead and take that. You may see you know you may start seeing them increase again. Yeah. Um. You know the the the, the permanently might not be you know as permanent as they as first reported, but um that'll be interesting. Um. That's the good news. Also, looking at some of these numbers too, uh, the craft index. Uh, read 64 for April 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, did it mention what the reading was for April 2020? It did not, but I'm going to guess it was like one? No, a little higher. Okay. 
Fourteen. Okay. I mean, when, when everything just went completely to shit and draft uh, wasn't Every a thing. bar was fucking shut well, down. No one knew how long we were going to be closed for. I mean, April, uh, April of uh, last year, draft was effectively zero for the first time in history. Yeah. So, I... Because I worked for a brewery, I was looking at the numbers for last April, and I was just like, there was nothing. Hey, at on least draft. at least easy to be- beat your sales numbers last year. <laughs> Even you can accomplish that. <laughs> yeah, you're like so. April first, sold a keg. Woo! Woo! <laughs> I can I can relax for the rest of the month. <laughs> I'm coasting. <laughs> Don't want to build this up too much over because they're going to expect more next year. Yeah. <laughs> So, but anyway, so yeah, the, 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 the idea that we might be returning to something resembling normal, that's good news. Um, the, it also feels like a time to reflect on the industry as a whole and, you know, what we just went through, um, where we're going and I mean, and you know, and how we need to, what we need to do to get there. Um, the great you know, the great boogeyman of craft beer, um, the enemy we all fight against is big beer, quotation marks, you know, uh, that mass produced swill cranked out by robots and pumped out to the dead eyed public to, uh, uh, to help lessen the pain of their miserable existence. You know, corporate America, <laughs> um, craft beer on the other hand is the plucky underdog the uh, the ragtag group of uh, dreamers taking the taking on the man trademark uh, with a mash paddle in one hand and just a song in their hearts um, that's kind of the that's kind of the uh, uh, the marketing material for uh, for craft beer but the realities uh, in the industry the re- realities on the ground craft beer may be in a position where it's going to be its own undoing uh, this uh, article came wait from- you mean shitty people work in craft beer too you know what? I don't want to alarm you, but possibly. <laughs> oh, my lanta. Um, it, this article came from Good Beer Hunting by Lily Waite, and it's called uh, The Call is Coming from Inside the House, Craft Beer's Self-Inflicted Existential Crisis. This article is so concise and well-written and brutally scathing that I'm tempted, I was almost tempted just to read it aloud. I'm not going to do that, <laughs> but if you're listening to my voice, you should absolutely go read it. Um but what it got me what it got me doing is like thinking a lot about what we've done on this podcast especially over the last year and with the you done fucked up yeah insert fill in the blank uh founders um boulevard brew dog platform um yeah the, and just in the, as an industry in the whole we saw well, i mean not only not only in in uh, in craft beer, but I feel like society wide in you know um, in American culture, we saw kind of where the cracks were forming um, when things got tough. But this is a craft beer podcast. We do industry news. So we're going to talk specifically about the things we saw in the craft beer industry. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, what and what I got me ta- thinking about a lot is like the myths um, that uh, that we talk about. The, you know the uh, that we talk about that we built this this industry is kind of built on by myth I mean specifically like a certain set of ideals that we we're family yeah I mean the, the these these ideals that we no one's ever going to live up to really um, no industry could possibly live up to it um, but like the line attributed to Hunter S Thompson that I've never actually read in any um, uh, in any of his uh, uh, writing but the it, 
the uh, the quote good people drink good beer um, right. it's supposed to be it's supposedly said by Hunter S Thompson it's a bit of industry model motto and it suggests that we're just full of uh, good hardworking people doing what they do doing what they love and spreading joy and community wherever they go fighting There's, the good fight yeah there's possibly cartoon birds flying out of the brewer's beard to sing a song on the fermenter. The mash tun itself might come to life and join and join in the song while it eats grain and spits out sweet word. My point is, um, with, well, two points. First of all, whatever you want to say about this industry, it's still an industry, and that means you know work and money and other things that are going to suck getting in the way of that ideal. And it humans. Can, it can't live up to it no matter how hard it tries. And second, I should probably stop eating acid in a brewery. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm getting at here is that we have these ideals in the industry, and the question is not, can, you know, can we live up to these ideals? Because in a lot of cases, that's just not going to be possible. Human, as you said, humans are involved. And humans, by and large, suck. Well, it's like religion is great in theory, and then you add the human element, and they fuck it up. <laughs> um, kind of like government. <laughs> I mean, yeah, basically any human endeavor. But, um, but it's I think it's useful to see just how far we might have fallen from these ideals if we were ever anywhere close to begin with. So, uh, three myths. Um, the first myth: our beer is better because it's brewed locally with the best ingredients and by people who care. Oh, I hate that one. <laughs> Just, it's a good, but it's a good idea though, right? I mean, and I think literally everyone in the industry would agree with that statement. I'm not saying it's complete bullshit. What I am saying is that pretty much in the industry, would anyone in the industry would agree with the idea that the range of quality and craft beer is as wide as the fucking ocean. Oh, 100%. And every single brewery that starts says that exact line and then says, we're going to make the best beer in whatever area they're coming into and then when push comes to shove it doesn't always turn out that way um i remember um judging at a beer competition a couple years back and i was doing the first round of ipa flight you know a first round ipa uh, uh judging and i was working my way through the beers um jotting down notes and i was thinking jesus they actually sell this to people this was a professional brew competition, by the way, and this round was so bad that the table actually brought over a moderator and asked if we had to send three beers to the next round. That was kind of what the first round was, the the, the object Ooh. of it, was we all got like 12 beers, right? Or more than, maybe 12 to 15, all right? I don't remember how many beers it was. Palette wrecked. But they and gave you us, still can't <sighs> not get that taste out of your mouth. But, I mean, you, sh- you should, but the idea was to take these beers and, you know, send the best three upwards. And the, the 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 beers we got were either so bad or so bracingly mediocre that we did say, do we have to send three? I mean, there's two that might be worth sending, but... They're going to go out immediately. Yeah. But, I mean, hopefully. The, and the rest of these are just crap. And they actually did agree. They, they, they came back and said, you don't have to send three. Just send... However, and I think we only sent, I think we sent two just kind of. You're like, send up two, three. <laughs> I think we sent up two more just to keep from being total bitches. But, um, and at that same competition, um, you know, you know, after it was over and they were having like a little, um, you know, a little, you know, industry like, um, conference. Um, I remember one of the uh, organizers of the event, um, he got up and was talking about 
um, talking about quality in in the craft industry, and he was he had stopped by a brewery on his way to the competition, and he um, and he, you know, he went in and was talking to the brewer and said, you know, what is you know what what is your flagship beer? What beer are you guys most proud of? And the brewer said, oh, we do you know our flagship beer is an alt, and the guy was like, that's amazing. Nobody does an alt. An alt, mm-hmm. for if you're not familiar, is like a German is a is like a German brown ale it's a light german it's like a brown kolsch yeah you know they're usually brown or amber in color yeah. so they're and, you know they're they're not as sweet as like a, a an american amber they're kind of a dry amber brown german style beer um and he's like that's amazing nobody doesn't uh doesn't alt yeah i'll take a pint of your alt and he and he says and they brought me a glass full of diacetyl oh fuck <laughs> um so i mean Qual- and this is and this is something we talk about quality control in the industry is almost non-existent. I was gonna say I sat through a conference where they had uh, Neil White or Wit or whatever his last name is, uh, but he's the head of quality for the Brewers Association. Uh, worked for Boulevard when they were first getting started, like helped develop their quality program, and he it nerds out on quality and craft beer mm-hmm. uh and i remember he sat there and he goes tell me how you how you maintain quality in your brewery and he goes the more and how you define quality he's like the more levels down you can give me i could almost guarantee your beer is going to be better than someone who can only go a couple levels down Mm -hmm. because you have more procedures in place to really kind of make sure that you're holding yourself to the best level and that you're actually, you'll pull product that's not up to your standards and that you're putting out only the products you're proud of. Um, I remember, um, you know, and, and, and we're not always talking about, like, I mean, there are some things that a brewery can't control. I remember uh, Barley Browns um, out of Baker City, Oregon. Uh, they had to can a lot of their beer for the first time ever. This was, they are, they are a draft-only brewery. They have a huge following here in the Valley and in Oregon. Um, but I remember, they you know, they were doing cans just to keep getting product out into the market. And their um, one of their hazy IPAs, um, somebody bought one and opened it up, um, and it was oxidized as fuck. And I mean, there so there, and I, I remember like I think Barley Brown's got a hold of them, and basically said, "Sorry, you know, we'll we'll get you another six. pack. Yeah, we'll get you another six pack or whatever we need to do. We, you know, once it leaves here, we have no control. And I think I mean things like that you can't control, you know, especially with a mobile can." A canner, and that's I think and canning lines add oxygen into even the best so, best brewed beers. You're going to add oxygen to, and sometimes the seal doesn't get fully sealed. Then there's just so many moving parts that can add a little bit of variance. So there's I mean there's things that there's shit that happens that they can't control, but there's we're talking more about shit that they can control. And actually, this brings up to an it brings us to an issue that has become very much a theme. That we've both yelled about specifically. Pasteurize your beer. <laughs> exploding cans, and the fact that parts of the industry have managed to convince their customer base that's their responsibility not to make their cans explode. You know, actually, the amount of chutzpah 
it requires is almost impressive. Like, on some level, you go right through outrage, and you're almost like, wow, well done. You managed to convince all your customers that your cans exploding in their face was their fault? I mean, have you... You're like the abusive person in a relationship who beat the shit out of someone and was like, well, you made me do it. I mean, I almost like, do you want to consider a job working for a tobacco marketing company or a drug company pumping out opioids? Because I feel your talent for bullshit is being wasted here. <laughs> you can be making way more money. Um, but, you know, so, yeah, I mean, that issue, the exploding cans, is just, I mean, that's not only, that's not only uh, bad beer, that's just dangerous. And we've talked before how it's only a matter of time before somebody gets hurt. Well, um, that was... When we worked at the homebrew shop together, and Imperial Yeast originally was like, we're canning our yeast, uh, and they had what their American ale yeast would blow up cans, and finally we're like, we can't carry this anymore. It's a liability for us and our customers, and I saw the shop you work at now, um, they... Imperial yeast is now in the bags like White Labs and White Yeast. And whatever issue was causing that is also was also solved because those bags don't inflate at all. I mean, and, not even like I mean I mean even Y yeast ten fifty six tends to inflate quite a lot, but I've never seen anything like that in Imperial and they're qualities. Because they're doing the same process as like White Labs. <coughs> Take a moment while uh, Tyler has his allergy uh, uh, attack. Woo! <laughs> uh, but, so they're doing the same process, kind of like White Lab's Pure Pitch. So, if you've ever looked at both those packets, they mm-hmm. look almost the same. It's basically a giant sheet with the yeast in it that they then just, like, heat seal off mm-hmm. the fucking And then packs. send out. Yeah, So, yeah. it helps reduce the off-gassing. But, um, so... I mean, we've got we have got to, as an industry, you know, get to a point where, you know, there's enough care about uh, about quality control. Um, before, I mean, especially in, in the case of you know exploding cans, before somebody outside decides to start regulating that. And by the way, mm-hmm. those regulations are gonna be are gonna be prohibitively expensive for a lot of places, and cause you know and and, and cause shutdowns. And reduce the creativity that you can do with craft beer. Um, and it's, but it's also not just about what's inside the can, but outside. The industry is rife with intellectual property uh, violations. Um, and that's, this actually has been a local issue. Um, Western Collective's Peekaboo Juice um, uh, uh, has a picture of a skier on the label. Obviously a reference to Peekaboo Street, uh, a homegrown uh, Olympic gold medal winner. Um but now they're changing the name to Peak Juice. Why would they do that? Well, it turns out they never actually got Peekaboo's permission to uh, 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 to name their beer that. Um, and I think they and I'm I think they got a cease and desist. I, uh, I one of their sales reps was telling me this story, and he kind of joked how how about how she's kind of a pariah in her hometown of Ketchum, um, where you know uh, where she's from, and she's got kind of a reputation for being that stereotypical small town girl that. Went and got famous, and now shits all over the uh, town that she's from. But, and I don't know much about that. I know I, I, I know uh, a little bit of that, uh, some of those stories. But I'm thinking, and he's telling me this story though, and I'm thinking, yeah, but being an asshole doesn't mean you don't have the right to your likeness. True, hundred uh, percent. 
I think they knew from Jump Street one day they were getting that cease and desist and they were just going to write it until... And, but I mean, yeah, and that's and there's and therein lies the problem is that there hasn't been a lot of consequences for. Well, that was like Roadhouse with their Mountain Jam. They have like a different artist on the yeah cover. Well, one of the artists saw the beer, reached out to him, and goes, "Hey, can you not? Uh, if you would have reached out to me, hundred percent, I love beer. Would have been like, yeah, do it. Let me know where I can buy it. This would be awesome." But, yeah, can you get it off there now? Yeah. Because you didn't ask? So you just put my picture on a, on a beer label, yeah. Um, and actually, in the process, I found um, um, a, an Instagram um, account that's kind of magical. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, intellectual poopery. Um, and it's all about uh, craft beer, uh, uh, flagrant violations of intellectual property in craft beer. We've talked about it on... Episodes of the podcast. I mean, exactly. There was one brewery that got a cease and desist from Mary Berry off the Great British Baking Show because they used her likeness. And... But I mean, and, and you might be saying, well, you know, why is that an issue? I mean, what you know, the you, you in the case of like Roadhouse, you lifted so and so's picture, put it on your can, they give you a cease and desist. It's a one off, so you kind of go, oh, okay, and you you know. You sell, to the through, next. you sell through the rest of what you ever you, you had, and that's kind of the end of it. But the problem is, and combined with you know the lack of quality control, um, it's, it speaks of, a, a, of an industry that's not serious about what they're doing. They're, they're, they're kind of fucking around, you know? And, I mean, to be honest, that spirit of, like, beg forgiveness rather than ask permission is charming at the beginning, and maybe necessary to get the industry to a certain point, but at a certain point, you're not a home brewer anymore. Exactly, act like a fucking professional brewer. Um, craft beer on that is kind of in danger of becoming a rich, beardy white boy's playground. Um, that's far removed from the spirit of handcrafted quality that the industry holds up in their marketing material. So, I mean, that's that's the first thing that I think you know everybody in you know everybody in the industry. You know, ought to be bringing to work tomorrow, which is we can't. You know, if something comes out of the fermenter that's not right, it's got to go. It, no matter and and no matter how much it hurts, um, because in the long run, going eh, good enough, and and sending and sending it out, it's causing doing more harm than good. Yeah, and also fucking stop with the exploding cans. Yeah. Let's stop with the whole, like, slushy fruit bullshit anyway. Can we just... I get it's popular, but can we just stop? (laughs) Probably not. What happened to beer that tastes like beer? (laughs) Um, The second myth. um, Craft beer is community beer. employing, Employing people in your community. Hey, Tyler, you want to talk about the realities of working in this industry? (laughs) Because... Long hours... Uh, you don't get paid anything where you should compared to comparable industries. And you're doing more than what's in your role. I saw something, it was totally unrelated. It was like things, it was like, I want to say a Reddit thread or something. It was like things that should be a red flag if you do the interview. And it's like, we are a family environment. And it's like, if they say this, 
what it truly means is we're going to treat you like shit like your family does and expect you to do more for less. <laughs> but then if you try to ask us for something, we're going to be like, mm, let's keep business separate. <laughs> or, or even worse, it'd be like, how could you ask us for that after everything we've done for you? Mm-hmm. Um, no, you're absolutely... I, I bet you if you go down that Reddit thread, you'd be like, also, every interview I've ever had at a craft beer joint ever. <laughs> the, the industry itself is not a, is, is, is a, a red flag. Um, but, I mean, the people work in this industry because they love it, because of the passion, because they really enjoy the craft. And, and 99% of the people you meet in this industry are going to be great people that it is enjoyable to spend time around. You get to meet some super interesting people. You get to go and actually have fun at work sometimes. Uh, there's a lot more pros than there are cons, but mm-hmm. when everyone paints it fuzzy and rainbow, it's not. Well, so according to Glassdoor, the average pay for a head brewer is about 33000 a year, topping out at 42000 per year. And it goes down from there. Production workers average twenty eight thousand a year. Taproom staff vary from eighteen thousand to thirty eight thousand. This is, by the way, at a time when the poverty line for a family of three is just shy of twenty two thousand a year. Um, but it's not necessarily a product of brewery owners being cruel or stingy or greedy. Salaries, as meager they are, still take up the bulk of a brewery's bottom line. And I honestly believe, in most cases. The breweries are paying what they can't afford. Um, now, of course, the question is, do you raise the price of beer and give that money to employees? Rising prices seem to be happening, at least on the local level here. I noticed in the past year with some you know, annoyance as, pri- as prices gone up from an average of about five bucks to an average of about seven bucks for yep. a pint. I was going to say, most places are six to eight, and I can remember two years ago it was... Four to five. Yeah. A couple high spots, six, but... I mean, there are some special releases where you're like, holy crap, this better be good. But I'm not... Well, first of all, I'm not entirely sure that extra $2 or so a pint is going to raise the standard of living for employees. In fact, I just actually just completed a little job search myself. Um, So a lot of this stuff uh, hit home for me. And I can say that at least locally, it seems that everybody is hiring part-time. Mm-hmm. Um, even the job I ended up taking is technically part-time at 30 hours a week, although that was partly a choice, that was partly a choice I made, um, when, you know, going, going through negotiations. Um, but there's actually a bit of a pinch right now, especially when it comes to kitchen staff, cooks especially, because there are places in towns that have to shut down their kitchen because they can't find anyone to work in there. Mm-hmm. Or rather, they can't find anyone to work for poverty wages for part-time in a potentially dangerous environment for some reason. Honestly, from the bars and restaurants I've talked to around town, kitchen staff, they're getting hits on. They Are they now? It's the servers they can't get anyone to talk to. I know a couple places, a couple restaurants in downtown Boise, if you get hired to work, on your first day of work, after you've completed it, like a five hundred dollar 
Signing bonus. Holy shit. <laughs> McDonald's in Boise, I think I heard from someone, was offering a $50 McDonald's gift card to show up to the fucking interview. I mean... Paying 11 bucks an hour to work at McDonald's. I mean, um, you have to use that gift card at McDonald's. That's a, down, that's a downside, but... Um, McFlurry's all day, baby! <laughs> but... Um, I mean, that's that's talking more about you know like you know greater hospitality industry, but of course that absolutely does affect uh, you know that does apply to craft beer and, um, and like you said, you're asked being worked a lot of times you're asked to work long hours um, for minimal pay, doing physically demanding labor, and often as we discovered in platforms, little uh, uh, snafu under <laughs> incredibly dangerous conditions. You know, now we're that, dealing with assholes. Yes. Um, on the customer and ownership side, if you if you don't remember, platform, uh, uh, you know, had a bit of a black mold problem, a bit in the same sense that, um, you know, that uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. had a bit of a coke problem. <laughs> Chris Farley had a slight drug problem. <laughs> I mean, so and I mean, it also has to do with. I mean, it kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier. This, you know, that kind of home brewer, you know. Ragtag, oh, it's kind of close enough mentality. You know, you're you're a lot of times you're asked to do things that were never in your in your uh, um, uh, never discussed as part of your job, and you're kind of like, and they're kind of like, well, we do, a whole, you know, we had to do a whole bunch of shit starting up, and you kind of go, yeah, you're the owner, but you're but I was hired for a job. I want to do that job. I negotiated this price for these duties. If you want this duty. I want this price. Um, and, you know, and yeah, it, it, not to mention, uh, you know, like I say, a friend of mine went to go work for a, a local brewery and uh, is finding that she has to uh, uh, cook food um, on top of uh, uh, on top of her normal stuff. And that was never discussed. Ooh. Um, and, um, but, uh, um, I don't know. I guess the point I'm getting is that the, it, the, this industry runs on passion as much as anything else. Um, and passion and a love for the craft. But it's not it's not sustainable, and it's burning through that resource. Passion can make up for a lot. It can make up for the fact that your friends are driving a brand new car and you're still putting around in a ten year old POS. But it's not going to fill the tank or fix that bastard when it breaks down. It can smooth over the fact that dinner out is a luxury for special occasions, but doesn't replace the need to fucking eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, can make up it can make a simple life in a small home and apartment okay even or even attractive but very few landlords take passion as a means of payment so if the industry can't even provide the means for people to make a living it's gonna fail because it needs people to work in it yep and we talked about in one article a year or so ago about when the craft brewery numbers came out and uh one brewery had weighed in and was like we don't need to be like measuring ourselves in barrels per year that is for the big guys who the fuck cares we need to be measuring ourselves in jobs provided and i would even take that one step forward livable wages provided i know that we have a lot of shit to say on brew dog but that is one thing they have vowed to pay all their staff when they don't fire them for being gay. Yeah. (laughs) Livable wages. I mean, good on them. 
you know, so. shitty that they they had somebody who thought it was okay to fire all the gay people. But I mean, to their credit, yes, you know, a, a, anybody who says our, our it's our it's our goal to provide a living wage for people. Actually, that shouldn't be admirable. That should just be the baseline. I say that's 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 not a, you know, that's like uh, uh, on the other side. Like, hey, I showed up to work today. You're like, well, good because that's the least of what. That's I mean, what you should do. Um, but and I, I, again, not really an indictment of the business owners. These are small businesses operating on a shoestring. I think every one of them would love to pay more. In one case, I was talking to someone who owns a brewery and there was, there's something like embarrassment, um, that they didn't have the money to provide their employees with what they believe they should be able to, uh, to, I mean, we're talking about benefits. We're talking about, uh, vacation time, mm-hmm. paid days off, paid sick time. You know, there was, it, it was kind of like, again, I, embarrassment isn't the right word, but it's near it's something it's close in that, enough in, in that vicinity. They're like, they're like, we're just, we can't do it. And understand and sympathize, but at the same time, if you can't, the, we may have to have a reckoning where you go, if you can't do that, then you shouldn't be in business. At what, at what point is this just a cute hobby or a business? Um, you might be asking, well, what's to be done? And again, raise the price of product and see how much the public will tolerate that. Um, it seems to be able to absorb at least a couple of dollars um 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 a couple dollars increase but um and I, by the way i would fork over an extra dollar or two if i knew that it was raising the the standard of living in the industry um but beyond that the biggest problem i th- that i see and that I mentioned in the article is that the amount of businesses have more than doubled in the past five years but they're serving Roughly the same number of people. I mean, the past five years we've talked about the the total percentage of the market, and we're talking about the the beer market as a whole has gone. And correct me if I'm wrong, about ten percent to about twelve percent from like 2015 to 2020. Yeah, and so the business, the number of businesses have doubled, but the customer base has not. It's increased, and we're talking about you know. Uh, uh, Two uh, percent increase in the total amount of beer, so that is fairly substantial. Well, but it ain't double, right? And that brings me actually to the final myth that uh, um, that uh, uh, um, that I think that uh, we kind of built this industry on. Myth number three: craft beer is for everyone. And this one might be the most insidious one where we've fallen short. Besides exploding cans. Um, <laughs> One of the topics we've talked a lot about this this last year is diversity and inclusion in the industry. And I can already feel a lot of people rolling their eyes and muttering about woke culture and cancel culture and other culture where bullshit. Let me put this to rest right now. For all the above reasons, that argument is bullshit. If you want craft beer to survive, you need to expand the market. And that means more people than beardy white dudes. We've got them. <laughs> They're going to be there. Um, if you want to make... I'm going to put this in a very simple economic term. If you can get these other cultures to drink your beer, the beauty white dude stay, and you make more money. You're right. It's like COVID restrictions. You've got people pissing and moaning and turning masks and vaccines into a political issue. And I want to scream, this isn't about politics. It's about survival, you pinheaded prick. Um, and again... I don't necessarily think this is a product of purf- purposeful exclusion or the or 
you know, well, okay, the outright hostile antics of Founders and Boulevard and Brewdog notwithstanding, um, in most cases, this is not a, this is just, this kind of laziness. Um, You're not a part of that group, and so you market to the people you know. It's a, it's, it's this pervasive idea that, listen, our, our customers are all beardy white dudes, so obviously beardy white dudes are our target market. If black or Latino or queer people liked craft beer, they would be here. But, there's also that kind of broy culture at work. Um, actually, a quote from co- the co-founder of Austin Beer Works, Michael Graham, uh, from the article, quote, I think a lot of that stems from craft beer cliche of we brew what we like to drink, and that mentality extends, extends to everything. We deliver to the bars we like to drink. We, like, we make ads that make us laugh. We hire people we like to hang out with. If you only concentrate on appealing to the people like yourself, it can have the consequence of excluding everyone else intentionally or not say we've gotten to the point where like the beardy beer geek has kind of become a parody of itself you know like it's like that 2015 um budweiser ad brewed the hard bat brewed the hard way yep with those mustachioed like beer you know white dudes sipping <laughs> their beer their their pumpkin peach ale that's become sort of like a i don't know I, i've seen lots of like cute little internet videos and and what have you um you know sort of like if everyone's making up fun of craft beer they're always dressed the same way, mm-hmm. which is which is fine. There's a lot to make yeah. fun of in craft beer. Um, We're self aware enough to poke fun, <laughs> um, and but honestly, some of them are. Uh, there's some of them are kind of scathing, and one in particular, this idea of like IPA as a, a, a product of toxic masculinity. Um, huh. That's been I've I've seen that pop up a couple of times. Um, where and the and the, essentially you know the idea is um, um, that IPA is not there's nothing there's nothing pleasurable about IPA. It's just white dudes making a beer so bitter that you know only they can drink it and only you know they don't even really enjoy it. They're just like mm, bitter. You know, it's a dick measuring competition. That's kind of how you know it's a, 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 a looking from the outside in. Uh, uh, how it's kind of viewed sometimes. Yeah, I was going to say if you're outside it. Well, a lot of this. Yeah, and then that's kind of the point. It's, it is got to be from the outside looking in because there are people who are not drinking your product, and that's the point. We need more of them drinking the product. Yep. And uh, examining what is keeping them from, at least, you know, from a lot of times trying it is is a worthy uh, is a. It's a, it's a worthy conversation to have. And by the way, if they're not trying your product because they believe your customer base are a bunch of pretentious assholes, then what's it? Then we're getting into the realm of pretentious assholes who like wine. I mean, true, and you know, and that may be where, and that may be where craft beer sort of uh, ends up is that it becomes like a, you know, it becomes like wine where the upper echelons is just like this snobby. Um, you know this. You know, you know, uber snobby. Um, 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 uh, you know, sp- you know, specific world. But there's two things. You know, against craft beer in that instance. Number one, um, I think wine can sur- a lot of wine can survive because they can kind of charge whatever one, they yeah. whatever they want, and a certain segment of the population will buy it. Um, and two, we're talking about an industry that has a ton of tradition and a huge barrier to entry. So it's not like in five years, you're going to have double the wineries. Mm-hmm. I mean, and also, wine's always been seen as more highbrow than beer, so you have that hill you have to climb. I guess what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is that 
the beer evangelism is, I think, is sort of turning into the industry as a whole. And when some of their biggest fans are walking stereotypes and maintaining that position of tribalism and elitism, and by the way, I'm very much guilty of this. You are too. <laughs> um, Less so than you. Listen, this part of the order, uh, article was a bit of a personal nut punch. <laughs> I try to be a positive voice, um, but I do mark, mock hard seltzer drinkers more than is probably strictly appropriate. Um, but, I mean, it comes from both sides. Not only is it a good idea to, turn, to tone down the broy nature of the, the fans, we have to realize that even working in the industry is kind of the realm for the privileged. And... Um, I mean, like we talked about, the pay in this industry is at best mediocre, and at worst, a fucking travesty. So the ability to even work for almost nothing for a couple of years, um, that's not ever something everybody can do. No. And again, that's where I have to recognize my own privilege. I can I can do what I do because I have a wonderful wife who has a real job who doesn't mind letting her deadbeat husband pursue a life in this weird little world. Um. But we shouldn't be surprised that if an industry requires a certain amount of affluence to even be a part of it, and affluence, by the way, is in this, is inequitable, inequitably distributed by race and gender, the type of people who can, can even join is going to be restricted by race, class, and gender. Mm-hmm. Um, Jody Becker, um, she's a brewer for Common Space Brewing, and she was quoted in the article, uh, quote, outside of the breweries that have grown to national size, titles are meaningless. Thank you, Declan. <laughs> Titles are meaningless. Wages are fixed. Well below the livable standard. I get asked all the time about how to, how to get more women working in craft beer, but I couldn't in good conscience recommend this job to anyone, especially not another woman. Just going to pause for a minute and appreciate how depressing that statement is. <laughs> She's not wrong. <laughs> I'm like, how do you get more women to work in the industry? I don't. I wouldn't do that to another well, woman. Well, anytime someone comes up to me and they're like, I'm thinking about opening a brewery, I go, don't. Mm. Or they're like, Tyler, we should open a brewery. And I'm like, no. no not gonna. Um, we're in a kind of a catch-22 situation. We need, as an industry, to reach a wider audience, to provide better wages, to make it a place where people can come and make a, a living and attract a more diverse workforce in order to have alternative voices, that we should reach a wider audience, to provide better wages. You see where this is going. Yeah. Um, the thesis of this piece was actually that craft beer needs to wake up and realize that the biggest obstacle to its continued existence is not Budweiser. It's... Not hard seltzer. It's... It's what you're doing. Um, but for me, this piece should really be a wake-up call and a reminder of what the values that we that this industry is supposedly founded on and, you know and the, 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 a lot of those are the three things we just talked about i feel like we've fallen quite a lot in assuming that um that those ideals reflected you know we've fallen a little bit you know uh uh from you know but we still need to recognize that these are the founding ideals and the and you know the market we probably can't meet the marketing material but we should at least try and try harder um, Should be a constant push to, and yeah, none of the things we're talking about are radical ideas. Again, I want to stress these are the things that you know what you know what we said make this industry different than uh, than you know big beer. I think there's a reckoning coming before pan the before the pandemic. They were predicting like ten percent of breweries were shutting down. Once the pandemic set in, it was fifty percent. But most businesses not not only survived, but even more opened. I still think there are some closings coming up, coming up, coming down the pipe. I feel like the bullet wasn't just dodged; it just hasn't been fired yet. 
Yeah. And um, how bad it's going to hurt is largely dependent on how the industry reacts. And so it's, like I said, good time to reflect on what we're doing and as an industry and what we can do better. 100%. It's kind of, when you get in craft beer, you think, you get stuck in that echo chamber. You're surrounded by people kind of similar to you and think similar. And so it allows you to think that's what everyone would think. Right. Why aren't they joining? Well, have you stopped to take a look outside? So, um, and you say it was a nice like view from the outside looking in going, Oh, we should, we should do something about that. So, um, Again, some, something to think about as things are reopening. We go back to what passes for normal, whatever we're going to call it um, going forward. But um, um, make an effort. Reach out beyond the, the echo chamber. And, and, uh, and also, don't make shitty beer. That was the, that's the entire point of this industry. Make good shit so that people will want to drink it and buy more. Yep. If people want to drink shitty beer, they'll go with Bud Light. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we after after that, we uh, we uh, I think we need another beer. Tyler, what did you just pour us? Uh, the Deadwood Golden Stout from Sockeye Brewing here locally. Uh, it's uh, part of their new catch and release series uh, in a sixteen ounce can. Um, it's this is one of my favorite styles and actually ties into the article we're going to talk about next about golden stouts. Um, I like to call it kind of the optical illusion style. Um, Say, a Golden Stout's interesting, but I think it's kind of a, a, a one-trick pony. Oh, um, 100%. But there's been several times uh, where I've actually noticed or, like, poured a Golden Stout for someone. You hand it to them, and they go, I ordered the Stout. And you're like, try it. And then you just watch their mind get blown. Uh, this is 9.5%. Uh, and just very coffee-forward. Uh, but doesn't drink like nine and a half percent. Nine and a half percent. Yep. Well, I didn't think I was going to be. Um, I was going to think I didn't think I was going to be drunk before noon. But <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to kind of jump into the next article, though, um, an article uh, by Vine Pear talking about how specifically in Ohio, coffee beers really kind of stepped into the light and moved to the forefront. Uh, they talked to several breweries in this article, the main one being Wolf Ridge Brewing, um, and they won a medal, a gold medal at the 2020 GABF, um, for, um, I want to say it was coffee beer, it doesn't specifically mention, um, and the previous year, they had won a silver medal for the same beer in the coffee beer category. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's their Daybreak uh, Golden Stout. Crazy enough, this beer outsells their flagship IPA by 30%. Holy crap. Uh, yeah, and 5% alcohol ABV, so nice light blonde coffee beer that's taking off. They reached out to a couple other breweries, and they actually have similar results where their coffee beer is kind of what they're known for and they're known for making killer hazy IBAs and bourbon barrel aged stouts and uh, even if it's not their best seller it's still up there 
and never really dips off. And if they end up running out in between batches, they have an uproar coming in the tap room. <laughs> uh, and so with this, uh, they, yeah, Branch and Bone Artesian Ale, uh, they have a lot of fans who love the beer. They're known for their barrel-aged stouts and hazy IPAs, but they have customers that all they want to drink when they get in there is the dimmer, their 5% coffee-infused golden ale. Hmm. Um, the crazy part is the golden ale, so coffee cream ale, golden stout, it's all the fucking same. Right. It's a light color well, beer with coffee. Yes and no. I mean, so... I think the the flavor profile is largely the same, but I would almost argue, I mean, if you're if you're making if you're making a coffee blonde, you know, you're 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 accentuating the coffee flavor um, specifically. If you're but a golden stout, what you're what you're using is usually a combination of coffee and chocolate, and even sometimes like a small amount of something you know something roasted to simulate the whole flavor profile of a of a stout. And so, I mean, you might be at that point in time, you're like, so the difference is, well, one tastes like coffee and one tastes like a coffee stout. And to which you go, you, and so your point is, uh, and, and you go, your point is, and I go, I don't know. I'm a, I, I'm, I, I, beer I, styles. Beer they styles. make no sense. I'm a, I, look, I like beer styles. I'm a, so I'm a bit of a pedantic. <laughs> uh, no, uh, funny enough, the beer that kind of got me into this style was County Line Brewing's Daybreak. Coffee mm-hmm. cream ale, uh, which, speaking of intellectual property, the beer that this article mainly references is Wolf Ridge Brewing's Daybreak Coffee Beer. County line. Um, so I'm like, who stole from who? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel like, well, at this point in time, they probably they probably both have claim to it, and so let's just hope they don't ever cross... Uh, uh, Pass. Uh, let's say, uh, distribution footprints. But they... In the article, they actually list five different beers from all made in Ohio of just different coffee blonde ales to try. Um, but I was curious. I want to pick your brain. So if you were to take all these beers and create a BJCP style that was not just a coffee-infused beer, what would you call it? Would you call it a Golden Stout? Would you call it... Coffee. Well, Blonder, what... I mean, if it were up to me, um, I would probably go with Golden Stout because um, it's. I feel like that'd be more inclusive. You could enter a, a coffee blonde into. Because uh, the alcohol percentage can run on a stout from 4 to 10%. Right. And so, I mean, I, I feel like Golden Stout would be a better. Would be a better. Uh, um, 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 like name for that category and, and a and guideline because you know it's but one of those golden stout is kind of like the oxymoron that black ipa is <laughs> well yeah but but uh um well i mean two things number one you know the whole point of a golden stout is like oh my god it's a stout but look at it it's not dark and so i mean the the oxymoron is kind of built into the again it's 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 a it's a one trick pony but it's kind of a good trick yeah, um, it's kind of built into the the whole idea. Whereas, listen, it's a black IPA where we use roasted grains. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. Yep. <laughs> you know what IP? You know what the phrase IPA means? Means you know what you know what black means. So combine them. Yeah, 
you know, and don't give me this horseshit about what well, means well India pale ale. How can it be pale and dark? I'm gonna slap the stupid right out of you. <laughs> <laughs> but or you can go Cascadian dark ale if you have to. <laughs> you, you pompous prick. <laughs> You are the problem that I just talked about with craft beer, okay? You are the people, you are the ones driving everybody away. <laughs> You're the one driving all, all, all the black people, all the Latinos, and frankly me, <laughs> who is as far away from either of those cultures as one could possibly get. <laughs> but if you've never had one of the styles, I'd recommend go out, see if you can find a Golden Stout, Coffee Cream Ale, Coffee Kolsch, Coffee Blonde, whatever, a light colored coffee beer. Uh, they are excellent if you like coffee flavor. Uh, very crisp finish, refreshing. Uh, I know Mother Earth does their Imagination Land here locally as well. That's a golden stout. Uh, I think Barbarian has a golden stout out. I thought I saw on their menu, but I'm not 100% it's also, sure. It's also a nice style if you like, if you enjoy the, the flavor profile of a stout, um... But don't want one during, especially during uh, warmer weather, because um, they also tend to be lighter in body. body. And so, you know, they don't, you know, so they... Because typically how it's done, you'll brew a, you'll brew a lighter base uh, and then add cold brew coffee in at the end right before carbonating. So you get the smooth coffee flavor from the cold brew process without... Although actually, when I uh, so I um, um, I helped somebody make a golden stout, um, and I did a bunch of research leading up to it and came up with a recipe. The recipe I came up with actually had the coffee in the in the last part of the boil. Oh, really? So I didn't use cold brewed coffee. I went ahead and just dumped oh about four ounces of coarsely ground coffee right at the end, and it gave it. It wasn't actually. It was probably it made it about the color of, uh, of this because it was. Because I was a little bit surprised how much color it imparted, and it was like, well, it's almost more of a amber stout than a than a golden stout, but it was, it's, it was about this. Uh, the only downside to adding the coffee to the boil is sometimes you can get some of the acidicness from the coffee. Yeah, yeah. Where with cold brewing, you get a little but, smoother coffee flavor. But I mean, when I was but I was doing a, doing a golden stout, and I wanted that that acidic, that harsh roasted flavor to simulate specifically like black patent. Okay. Or like roasted barley, um, so I wanted that. I wanted that roastier, that roastier, harsher overtones in what I was doing. So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, this is one of my favorite styles, and if you can go out and find it, it'll be worth. If you've never had, it'll be worth trying. Kind of trick your brain a little, and if you go with this Deadwood. Get you drunk pretty quick. <laughs> All right. Well, Tyler, anything else? To do, anything else today? Nope. That'll be it. Declan, you have anything to add? Yeah. Now you're quiet. Anyway, <laughs> this has been. It's all beer. <laughs> I apologize for uh, the the infant outbursts. You know, doing a podcast at home when you're watching the kid is is what it is. Uh, thank you for putting up with that. <laughs> Um, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, where we may not be as bitchy as some uh, bitchy enough to get uh, free beer, but uh, you know that's, that's where we find our articles. So there's bitchiness to be had. Um, we're on Facebook. You can uh, you can uh, follow us there um, on Instagram, where I say I'm going to put up pictures and then don't get around to it. 
Um, uh, and you can, uh, if you if you have something you want to add um, or have an article you want us to talk about or find something interesting, uh, you can get a hold of us. We're at itsallbeer at gmail.com. And as always, uh, you can leave us a review on Facebook or on our or, or on our uh, on iTunes or Stitcher or something. Um, every once in a while, I check, and if, 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 if I see something that makes me that makes me very happy. Yeah, it does. Makes us so happy. There you go. Um, anyway, that'll be quite all quite enough for us. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. I'm gonna drink the rest of this golden stout and pass the hell out. Have fun.